on composting, dementors, and BDSM. BG. Friday, September 16th, 2022. I heard my neighbor coming up the back stairs earlier, and I thought about going down to say hi. I decided not to, though, because yesterday when I said hi, she said that was weird. Granted, at the time I was crouched on the ground, peering through the wooden slats of my terrace to make out her presence below, but that's just practical. Definitely not creepy at all. Anyway, I only did it because one day she'd seen me up above the wooden slats and had struck up a conversation. So she did it first, which is what I told her. Then I ran inside, embarrassed. Whatever. She's the one who said she liked me and wanted to be friends. She does always say I'm weird, though. The first time we hung out, we ranted about men all night. She's had some t similarly terrible experiences to mine, and this was last spring, when I had just moved out of Gail's house, so my man-hating was at an all-time high. Mommy kept reminding me that it's not all men that are screwed up, and that there are plenty of women who are dumb butts, too, but... Anyway, me and my neighbor bonded and got drunk. Now, though, I guess I'm too weird. Mommy said I was cute in a message to me, and it irked me. Then she sent apology for it, if it sounded condescending, but then she said, I mean, doms are supposed to be condescending, at least a little bit. What? Outrageous. I'm extra sensitive to condescension, because Gavin used to use it every chance he had to make himself look good and me look dumb. Of course, Mommy doesn't do that. Not only does she bulk up my confidence whenever she can, she also purposely points out when she's wrong about things or has made a mistake. The universe did that to keep me humble, she'll say with a wink. I like her philosophy, admitting your mistakes, staying humble. It's not the same as false modesty, which is dumb and stupid. We all need to recognize what we're good at and own it, for God's sake. Otherwise, we'll just drown, gasping in a sea of I'm not good enoughs. Knowing what we do well helps us navigate through life. But being honest about our shortcomings is important, and so is not being afraid to look weak. Being afraid of looking weak is a terrible character flaw. It's essentially cowardice. Being afraid to look dumb, or weak, or whatever, can make a person pretend they know how to do things they don't know how to do. At best, that's dumb, and at worst, it's dangerous. The wisest people in the world are the ones who admit when they don't know how to answer a question, but then take the time to seek out the answer. So knowing all that, it's objectively clear that mommy's not the type of person to be condescending to make a person feel bad. Even if somebody does need to learn a lesson, they're not going to respond well to you making them feel bad. And she knows that. She's one of the best and nicest lesson givers in the universe. So that comment about doms and condescension meant something else. I'm just not sure what exactly. I have a feeling it has to do with a dom earning respect to be the expert in a particular area, at which point they're entitled to a bit of arrogance. And I mean actually earning your trust because they deserve it, not because they happen to own a whip and speak with a hot English accent. Cough, cough, Gavin, cough, cough. Anyway, honestly I'm not sure what she meant, so I responded to her messages in our To the Moon thread, which is where we handle any potentially triggering conversations. I don't know a ton about what it's like to be the dom, but I can tell you what it's like to be the submissive. BDSM allows us subs to be vulnerable. Crazy, crazy vulnerable. To walk on the cliff edge of our feelings, our sensations, our love. We can dance out there with our doms, a tricky, beautiful dance along the borders of our being. BDSM can be beautiful. It can also be very, very dangerous. Mommy isn't technically my dom. Not yet. Even though, I mean, she is, really. 
I go to her for advice about absolutely everything. And even if she doesn't give me commands, I listen to everything she says. Except sometimes, and that's usually because I don't understand yet what she's asking me to do. I can't think of a time so far when I haven't come to realize that her perspective makes sense. Not because she's forcing it, but because she uses wisdom and intelligence to make choices that are emotionally informed. She has my best interest at heart, and she's willing to eat humble pie if it'll keep me safe. And sometimes, both of our perspectives merge, forming new insight. We geek out a lot while we build our trust and love foundation. But because of the trauma, I don't totally have my boundaries all sorted. My people-pleasing and desire for approval could make it so that I say things I want that I don't want. My fear of abandonment could manifest in something a teensy bit toxic. I'm basically not ready to consent to power exchange yet. For now, we're like G-rated times a thousand. Baby girl got really angry about the lack of BDSM at the beginning. It was maddening to finally have the possibility of play, but be forbidden from playing because of stupid trauma. Baby girl wanted to do all the things, but then just as suddenly would get triggered and fly off the deep end. So mommy had to have a talk with Mistress Me, and we scaled way back. It's much, much better now. There's a lot of talking, a lot of holding. We kiss, and sometimes we even snuggle with skin to skin. Last week was one of the best. Mommy and I climbed onto a magic carpet ride, and off we went, floating into the universe. We held each other and touched ourselves softly. It was meditative, like in my post from yesterday, but there was a sexual element as well, and it was delicious. I felt fire between my legs, snaking down my thighs. I felt expansion from the root of my pelvis, all the way through my tummy, up into my throat. My mouth lolled open, and I stuck out my tongue, expectant. Mommy smiled that wonderful smile of hers, content to hold me and watch where I would go. She doesn't move a lot when we're together, because sometimes it might trigger me. Mommy has the patience of a thousand sunsets. I was floating, 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 until suddenly the Dementors got to me. It was the worst, because usually when Mommy's over, it's like a military regiment protecting my happiness palace. My drawbridges have a guard at every door, because Mommy's magical. Curled up in her arms, my happiness palace is the safest it could ever get with Mommy looking after it. No drawbridges down to let baddies pass the moat, except for that dumb gateway through my mind. I had felt them coming, the Dementors. I'd tried to fight them off with reason and logic. I'm safe with Mommy. The bad monsters are from the olden days, and they're behind us now. I thought I was okay until I realized I wasn't. Mommy was off on the magic carpet ride, but I had gone to a terrible place inside my head. I opened my eyes with a pop. "'What's up, kitten?' asked Mommy, gently. "'Gaga,' I said, and buried my face in her chest. Later, Mommy cleansed me. I don't know what that is, but it was wonderful. I think it's where she gives me her energy or something. I don't know. But I could feel her hands inches above my body. I knew exactly where they were at all times.' even with my eyes closed. Slowly, grumpily, the Dementors slunked off, and then they vanished. Those stupid, dumb Dementors, ruining fun times with Mommy and making it so I'll never learn how to be a sex goddess, not ever. But it's already way better. Right after the bad scaries, I spent entire days with her, trembling, crying, bruised, hurt. It took a long time to push the poison out. Now it's mostly gone. It's Friday again. I talked to Willow this morning. We're still reading that Tamara Pierce book together. 
Mostly, though, she just vented about her schoolwork. Poor homeschooled teenager. Isn't the point of being unschooled that you don't have to do schoolwork? That's how it was for me. It was the best. I just got to climb trees and read books all day. But apparently my sister has a different philosophy than my parents, which is control absolutely everything my nifflings do at all times. Oh, that sounds so bitchy of me. Maybe it's too mean to print, is it? I have a rule that I will only write something about someone that I would say to their face. And even better, that I have said to their face. Like everything I've said so far about Richard, for example. He can come to me today and I'll stand by every word. He's being mean to my friends and the only one to feel ashamed should be him. He's lucky I'm doing it anonymously, instead of on Facebook for the world to see, which is how he lives his entire life. I've disguised him enough that even his close friends wouldn't recognize him. So if he ever recognizes himself in my pages, well, that's his own bloody fault. I don't want to hurt Gail, though, which is why it's going to be a long time before I can ever share these writings with her. It's hard writing this stuff and not running to all my friends to show them. I think word will get out bit by bit. At the very least, I may make them start signing disclaimers. If I enter into this friendship, then Lorelai may write about me. Her stories are entirely her perspective, and sometimes she engages in hyperbole and metaphor. She will attempt to be objective, fair, and kind. She may call the assholes names, though. These are, after all, her stories. If I disagree, I'll put my version in the comments. She promises to leave them there so everyone can see your truth. My truth is, somebody should tell my sister that she shouldn't try to control everything her kids ever do. In fact, I'm sure I've told her that, or a variation thereof, before. The trouble is, it's a waste of breath, because she only listens to the advice she wants to hear. Even when she asks me for advice, she doesn't take it. That's how she tried to get to me last week. She left a message, asking for advice about Willow. I wonder if you have any ideas, she said forlornly into the voicemail. I have a million ideas, but she won't like them, so what's the point? That's when I wrote that email. I haven't heard back yet, but I can't really complain because Ida owed her an email for like a billion years before that. But I can't talk to her on the phone. I just can't. It's awkward and weird, and we've both acknowledged it, so I don't really know why she keeps trying. Why not write instead? Neither of us ever runs out of words to write. I'm angry at my sister. So many times over the years I've needed a sister, but she hasn't been there for me. So many times I have been there for her. So many ways she controls her family. She tries to control us, too, her siblings, but we're grown now, so she can't. So instead, she tries to pull me into her corner, like it's us against the boys, our brothers. This year, when I resisted, she wrote pages and pages of accusations that we were ganging up on her. The ugliest thing is when I hear those victimized half-truths through the mouths of her own children. That's how I learn that she has painted herself as the victim. Meanwhile, the rest of us have done nothing at all except live lives that don't always conform to her standards and beliefs. I think the final straw was last year, when she wrote a letter about how abandoned by her family she felt. I wrote a response, part of which you'll see below, from my letter to her last winter. I'm not judging you about your life decisions. I know you feel like I'm judging you because you've said it a lot, but it's not true. It's simply that the outcomes of yours and my research diverges, and our decisions on what to, di to do diverge, too. I just feel sad about how your decisions make you and your family feel sometimes. But this isn't the first time I've felt sad for you. I felt just the same a few years ago when the kids weren't allowed to go into the flower shop with Mom because your family wasn't going into buildings. Note from Lorelei. Long story short, they were avoiding mold, so they didn't go into buildings. For literally years. 
So it makes me sad, but I get that you've done your research and you're doing what you think is best, just as you've done in the past. In your email, you said I wouldn't be willing to support you or stand up for your rights. That hurt on several levels. I have gone to bat for you so many times over the years, even though the stuff you guys do is extreme. I do extreme shit too, by the way, I'll fully admit it. It runs in our family. I've defended you to the world, to family, acquaintances and strangers alike, and I've bent over backwards trying to see things from your point of view. I mean, damn, I still preach the benefits of elimination communication. Note from Lorelei. Elimination communication is based on the idea that you can teach your babies, from a very young age, to be potty trained. They can be taught to learn how to recognize how it feels, and if you watch them like a hawk, you'll start to notice their signs. Eventually, they learn what is happening, and instead of numbing their muscles in a diaper, they start to control it. My sister's done it with every single one of her children, with pretty impressive results. You have to be prepared for accidents, of course, but those happen with diapers anyway. And that's despite the fact that it is beyond awkward to explain to someone why your sister is peeing your nephew on your, their front lawn. Insert crazy smile face emoji here. Despite my desire to be there for you, it is really challenging to offer you support. I come up with a thousand possibilities for things you could do, and you come up with 999 ways my suggestions won't work, and one maybe. Or I have to just listen to all the things you feel are going wrong and not say anything at all, which is exhausting. But I have been there for you. You know that. I've spent hours and hours helping you in your moments of need. Not because I had to, but because I loved you. Because I wanted to. And no, this particular time, the vaccine mandates are not my cause, and I'm not going to stand up and fight against them. Every one of your causes has been an intense crusade for you, and thus the people who love you, and this time your cause is not mine. But you're not going to bat for me either, about every single one of the ways I feel marginalized and unfairly treated. It sometimes feels like you are so immersed in the problems and challenges that you and your family face that you don't see what's happening with the rest of us. I do feel marginalized and unaccepted by society in profound ways and on various fronts. I just go don't get into it with you because one, you usually get uncomfortable and change the subject, two, I can go to someone else who shares my cause, and three, I try to focus on making the most of what I do have. I do wish that even though my lifestyle makes you uncomfortable, you'd have the conversations with me that you find hard and give me support without judgment. I love you, but I don't know how to talk to you. Superficial small talk sucks, and it feels like our conversations consist of us just dodging explosives in a futile ex search to find common ground that's actually interesting. <sighs> it's fine. We can be pen pals. I've lowered that drawbridge, and it'll stay that way, with the phone call one strictly reserved for emergencies. Just now I wandered over to the window. My hidey-hole windows and top-floor terrace make me feel even more like a princess wandering her castle. Anyway, I looked down to see that the back brun, that's compost bin to anyone not in Montreal, had not only been emptied, but left open. Oh, horrors. Too bad I'm not the kind of princess who gets ladies-in-waiting to handle the yuckies. I'm going to have to speak to Mommy about this. I ran downstairs, but of course it was too late. Somebody had already seen an open compost bin and decided that's where they should dispose of all their trash. Are people just thoughtless or dumb? The way that trash works on our street is that you put the bags out. You're supposed to only do that on trash day. The street is gross for a few hours and then everything's gone. Speaking of, the trash men deserve kudos. I've seen their work with my own eyes and they deserve a medal. My, my next door neighbors, the college students who moved out a couple weeks ago, left a disgusting pile of trash when they went. They piled it on days before pickup, so naturally passing by pedestrians decided to add to the pile as well. Are we sensing a theme here? 
The trash bags ended up bursting, and then it rained. I heard the truck for the trash pull up on mon Monday morning, and I went to my window-slash-palace turret to watch. They got every last bit, even the wet pieces of paper that were sticking to the rain-slicked road. Every last bit. They deserve a medal. Anyway, there I was with my back brun, full of somebody else's bubble teacup, straws, and juice box. I could leave it in my bin, but that would render the compost useless. I could dump it out, but there was no garbage bin anywhere, and littering is rude. I could stop composting altogether. Believe me, I've considered it. Composting is dirty, messy business. The back brun is already full of disgusting bugs from when nobody came to pick it up for three weeks. I called the city, and a kind lady took my call in French. She tisked appropriately when I explained the situation and took care of it immediately. But composting feels like the one thing I can actually do for the environment that's helpful, since so much of our recycling ends up in landfills anyway. So there was nothing else for it. The trash needed to come out of the compost bin, and I was going to have to do it myself. I started steaming on the inside, viscerally irritated. I don't want to handle my own trash, let alone someone else's. But then I remembered, I'm following this book with my mom, How to Tame a Wild Elephant. Each week we focus on one thing. Maybe it's noticing the color blue, or giving compliments, or using your non-dominant hand to brush your teeth. Just a little thing each week to trick your brain into paying attention to the present moment. This week's mindfulness practice was anonymous acts of kindness. So I cleaned up someone else's goddamn trash. Then I told all of you about it, which I guess renders the anonymous part kind of moot. Oh well. It was still a good deed, and because of the mindfulness thing, I didn't get annoyed. Anyway, yeah. It's been quite the week, so I guess I'm feeling scattered. But Super Boss Bitch was amazing. We scheduled a reasonable amount of things, didn't get triggered by any of our emails, earned money, and managed to still find time to stretch and meditate, and to spend two whole afternoons with Mommy. Now it's Friday, and I've already closed my phone drawbridge for the day. Marisol, Andres, and Valérie are coming over. I like knowing they're coming, but not knowing when. Who needs minute-by-minute -minute GPS updates from your friends, anyway? That's what I did last week when I finally had that party I'd been waiting for. I just waited, phoneless, like a princess in my tower. While I waited, I put out a pretty little spread with my best dishes. Everyone took forever to come, so I kept adding to the spread. Hilariously, Mommy was the first to arrive just on time, for Mommy's anyway, even though she had the furthest to come. Mommy says that she is so careful about work things, she arrives an hour early a lot of the time. But for friend stuff, quote, my zen starts before I leave the house, unquote. It has certainly taught Baby Girl a lot about patience, never knowing when she will turn up. Next came Etienne. The night before, for the first time, it had occurred to me, what if they don't like each other? I guess that is kind of cute of me, which means Mommy is right. Sometimes Baby Girl is pretty frickin' cute. I mean, who wouldn't think to imagine that that would be a possibility? She says it's not condescending cute, just cute cute. They did like each other, though. Mommy told me later that she agrees about how handsome Etienne is, and that he was just like she thought he would be, like a yogi version of Matt. Matt liked that he gave him an actual hug, like a real man. Etienne said that Mommy was and wasn't what he expected, but after meeting her, it all made sense. Sometimes I don't understand the things Etienne says. The last to arrive, of course, was Gail. She looked radiant. It was a pretty chillaxed gathering, not quite a party, but nice, everyone chatting, laughing, and eating. Gail told a story about the time she got, away too got way too high in Central America and then had to teach a private dance session. They liked her so much they hired her back. We listened in rapt attention. 
except for Baby Girl. Baby Girl was just floating up there in the clouds in heaven. Eventually, Mommy and Matt had to leave, and then Gail had to go pick up her butt-faced fiancé, so it was just me and Etienne. He's in Paris now. It feels like Gail has been making an effort not to ditch me this time, and I'm glad about that. In addition to showing up on Tuesday with the magnet, she texted me today just to check in. Usually, when Richard shows up, her messages stop. Meanwhile, I'm getting better at ditching the projective identification, or something like that. My therapist says not to worry about what the term is. It's just psychobabble for explaining what happens when you've been through trauma, and then you have to watch that trauma happening to somebody else. You over-identify with that person, and you want to save them. I've had to journal a lot, untangling Gail's emotional responsibilities from mine. I'm trying not to carry her pain anymore. She's already told me I should stop, and so is Mommy, and my therapist, and Mistress Me. I'm trying to let us have our journeys, to be there for her as a friend, to help her when I can, but not try to save her. God, it's fucking hard. I haven't seen Marisol and Andres much since our road trip. The last time was at their house for a barbecue. The next day they had a date with another couple planned, and both of them were adorably nervous in anticipation. I haven't slept at all, said Andres, but really, I know it's fine. Worst case scenario, I'm going home with a hot woman. I was like... Actually, the worst-case scenario is that they're awful, you guys don't communicate well, your relationship implodes, and everyone goes home angry. That's pretty much par for the course with swinger couples. But there's a chance that Marisol and Andres are smart enough and respectful enough to make it work. They ended up having a good time with the couple, but after saying they weren't sure if they were ready for a foursome, the couple ghosted them. People. Good grief. Gaga, okay, I think it's time for me to go start the holla. We set the time for 7 p.m., which means they'll all get here anywhere between 7.30 and 9. The stuffies and I will be ready. Love. Baby girl.